You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, the author and professor and theologian Michael Horton wrote an article for Christianity Today. And in it, he said this, it was confusing to grow up singing both this world is not my home and this is my father's world. Those two hymns embody two common and seemingly contradictory Christian responses to culture. One says, the world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. The other says, this is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and roundly rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. So the question that we're going to be looking at together this morning is, so which is it? Are you and I like the cast of characters on Gilligan's Island that we were out for a three-hour tour on our way to heaven and then we got marooned here on earth. Actually, did you know that one of the verses from the Gilligan's Island theme song actually has theological implications for us this morning? What does it say? Now this is the tale of our castaways. They're here for a long, long time. They'll have to make the best of things. It's an uphill climb, right? So the question is, is that the way that we're supposed to look at it? That we're just supposed to make the best of things while we're trying to pass through? That even though we're here for a long, long time, that this world is not our home? Or is it a matter that all of creation sings the wonders of our God, his mighty powers that make the mountains rise? Is it a matter that this world is just a wasteland of godlessness and Christians should have as little engagement with it as possible? Or are we called to engage the world in cultural transformation and kingdom activity? Perhaps the best answer to these questions is yes. There is an element of both of these things being at work. There are what we would call two impulses and two tensions that are inherently rooted in Christianity. They're both what you would call the indigenous impulse as well as the pilgrim impulse, and both of those things are rooted in the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, on the one hand, as we look at the scriptures, we see what you would call an indigenous 
impulse. While there is a call for separation, there is also a call for cultural participation. While there is confrontation with the world, there is also missionary adaptation with the world. I want you to think about this from the perspective of Jeremiah chapter 29, where God tells the exiles who are living in Babylon to do what? Build houses and settle down. And while you do that, to seek the good of the people that you are living under. At the same time, in Jeremiah, we also see how he prophesied an everlasting city, a new city, and how this true homeland would surpass anything that Israel had experienced in Canaan. I want you to think about the Jewish people as they were living in Babylon. Think of Daniel, right? We know the stories of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now think of Daniel, who not only worked for the king, but was in a position of high power in that kingdom. And I want you to understand, Daniel's name means God is my judge. But he allowed himself to be called Belteshazzar. And Belshazzar's name means Bel protects his life. So think about this. He lives in a foreign land, allows himself to be called by the name of a foreign god. And yet, he lives his life in such a way that was so God-honoring that it eventually also got him in trouble. And we see this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 22, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who under the law. To those not having a law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. You can kind of see Paul's, he's wrestling through this. This indigenous and this pilgrim impulse. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. So we see how Paul has within himself, he's living out both this indigenous impulse with a missional adaptation. He's trying to bring the gospel to the culture in which he lives. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So again, we see this sense of going out into the world, of living our lives amongst the people in such a way that they see God and desire to honor him through the way in which we live. I think in many ways, this incarnational 
nature is modeled after the incarnation of Christ, right? According to, to Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And so Jesus Christ taking on flesh, and he comes into the world, and yet what did Jesus do? He lived a holy life amongst the people, so you have this idea of this indigenous impulse of living in this culture, but I also want you to see, rooted within the gospel, is what you would call the pilgrim impulse. The pilgrim impulse, to see the world as us not belonging here. Uh, a number of years ago, and this was a number of years ago, Nathaniel was little, and he was at that age when he needed tubes in his ears. And so we had an appointment to go down. Uh, we were living just north of Philadelphia in the suburbs. We had to go down into the city to get uh, the tubes in his ears. And it was done at Temple University. So the Temple University Hospital, we had gone down. There. You know, the procedure only takes like, you know, a few minutes. It doesn't really take all that long. So we get done. We leave the hospital. We get in the car, and we make a turn down a road, and suddenly we're like, we are not in the place that we should be. And Nicole starts panicking because she's like, the name of the street that we're on is the name of the street that you hear on the news all the time, right? Of people getting killed. And we're like, ah! And suddenly, I look at my rearview mirror and there's rollers behind me. I'm like, I'm getting pulled over. I can't believe this. So I pull over, I roll down the window, and the officer says, you don't belong here. And I'm like, tell me something I don't know, right? So what happens? But the officer says, let me get you out of here. And so he gave us kind of an escort back to the highway. Now, I say that because that's not so different from what we can talk about on a spiritual level. Oftentimes, we say things like, this world is not my home. And I'm just passing through. Sometimes we're like, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, and I'm just trying to hang on, right, until I can get out of here, and this world goes, comes to an end. It's that old, how many of us remember singing that old Building 429 song? We think about it. It says this, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. And by the way, this impulse is also not without its scriptural support. Notice what 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 to 17 says. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with the unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are a temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing. I will receive you. First John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, 
but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 1 Corinthians 5, 9-10, Paul says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the people of the world who are immoral, the greedy and the swindlers the, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Now, interestingly enough, in the verses that are right after this, Paul actually also talks about the fact that you shouldn't associate with Christians who live this way. So if you claim to be a Christian, but you're actually living in a sexually immoral way or a greedy way, Paul says, don't associate with them. I want you to understand that every single one of us lives with this tension. I was thinking about an example. You may or may not be able to see this. This is a rubber band. Now, I want you to understand a rubber band only works when it is in tension. If, if, if you try to just use it like this, but it's not under tension, it, it, it can't serve its function, right? If you stretch it too far, what happens? It breaks. And then it can't, be, it can't be use its function, right? The only way that a rubber band actually works is when it is living within its tension. And, and I think that in many ways, this is the way that you and I approach this life living in the world. We have both this indigenous impulse as well as this pilgrim impulse. We know the gospel makes its way into new cultures through this indigenous impulse being sent into the world. But the gospel also indicts sin. It makes us know that we are exiles here. And it makes us feel as though we are no longer at home within the culture in which we live. So the question still remains, which is it? Am I supposed to be at home or am I supposed to be a foreigner and an alien? And the answer still remains that it is both. We are called to be countercultural, and yet we are also called to take the gospel into every culture. Now, how does the church normally handle this? Well, normally we handle it in one of two ways. It's either full participation or separation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you take the indigenous impulse to its extreme, then what we say is, we're just like the world. We're really not any different to it. There's a loyalty to the world in which we live. And so we can see that even within the church, people who identify with being followers of Jesus Christ, but on a spiritual level they identify this way, on a cultural level, they live and look just like the world around them. In fact, they may look so much like the world around them that there is no distinguishing them being any different from the world and the culture around them. Now, what does this look like in churches? Oftentimes, in mainline Protestant denominations, churches 
want to be so loyal to the culture that's around them that they will agree with, with whatever the blowing winds of change are within the culture. So if the culture says that equality or climate change or social justice are the most important things right now, the church will say, well, that's obviously the most important thing that Scripture is saying as well. So oftentimes churches will make this the number one priority in the church. Now notice, these aren't to say that these things aren't important or that the church shouldn't be engaging in these things. But when the church looks just like the culture, making it more about an activist club or a social club as being the most important thing, and then what happens is they leave out the heart of the gospel, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. When we leave that out, we end up looking no different than the culture that's around us. And so what happens is, Churches like this often say, well, we have to be like the culture around us because that's how we're going to reach people within our culture. That's how people are going to come into the church. But the reality is churches across the country are losing people. They are not coming into the church. We're seeing people leave the church. And it's happening more in mainline Protestant denominations. So we think, oh, well, being like the culture around us, that's going to attract people. The reality is it is not. People are leaving the church in droves. It, it makes me wonder, for as prolific as the seeker-sensitive movement was in the 90s and through the 2000s, early 2000s, with their use uh, of smoke and mirrors and, and lights, through a desire to have music and entertainment that is styled after Hollywood and watered-down theology, we saw churches explode in their growth. But I think a generation later, we've seen what has happened when you produce shallow Christians. We have seen adults leaving the church, and we have seen children questioning their faith, disengaging with their faith, deconstructing their faith, and many people have walked away from the truth of Scripture. And by the way, this is also something that we see bearing out in our lives. Uh, in, a, in a survey that was taken, uh, and they were, they were interviewing non-Christians, 85% of non-Christians said that they had a Christian friend. Okay, sounds great. But when they asked the question, only 15% of them said that they had friends that were any different from them. So they say, yeah, we all have Christian friends, but very few of them live any different than I do. So I would look at them and I wouldn't think that there was really anything about them that's any different than myself. Maybe this is why we're seeing some, a lot of church plants seem to be kind of swinging back, that pendulum kind of heading back in the other direction. Uh, when we were living in Pennsylvania, there was uh, one of the churches that was in the city. Uh, the pastor there was saying that people, especially young professionals, who were re-engaging with the church, maybe they were part of the church for a little while but had disengaged, when they were coming back, they were saying they didn't want the smoke 
or mirrors or lights. They said that they wanted something that felt like church, that felt like it was touching the transcendent, right? That there was a sense of holiness, that there was a sense of meeting with the divine. They, they weren't interested in the razzle-dazzle. They wanted something that was more contemplative, something that was more meaningful. And oftentimes in those contexts, you might see something that has more liturgy to it. Uh, you might see something where they're celebrating the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. In fact, I think in many ways, if any of you were to go up to our sister church there in uh, the New City Church in South Bend, you'd see a lot of things that perhaps were a little more like that than what we might traditionally think of as a church plant with all the music and the lights and, and everything else. So you have that as one impulse. On the other hand, if you have the pilgrim impulse and you take that to its extreme, you end up with a separatist movement. Instead of engaging the culture that's around you, you see churches that are filled with people that are trying to disengage from the culture that's around them. Because we look at the world, we see the world is sinful and evil, and because we're called to live a life of integrity and purity, the only way to do that, they would say, is to separate from the culture that's around them. In many churches, maybe you might consider more fundamentalist-type churches, they would say they would divide into the haves and the have-nots. We have the gospel. They don't have the gospel. And we want to make sure that the haves don't become the have-nots. And so we want to do everything in our power to try to stay away from the culture that's around us. Oftentimes, you will see the way in which they may rail against the culture or they don't follow the rhythms of the culture. Yeah, I think about this. Uh, many years ago when I had applied to a college, uh, one of the things that they said is, you know, they, they had you sign a covenant. And in that covenant, it was like, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't go to movies, you don't listen to secular music, you don't, you know, there's a whole list of things. You don't dance. There's all these things that you don't do. Now, I'm not saying that, oh yeah, we should just go ahead and do all of these things. But what I'm saying is oftentimes people can be known more for what they're against than what they are for. And so in, in many ways, it's like, this is how we're going to separate and be different from the culture. It can be good, but also what ends up happening, as we see, is that disengagement keeps us from being salt and light. Taken to its extreme, maybe you might say that this looks kind of like old order Amish, right? We're just passing through. This world is not our home. We don't want to be corrupted by the world and the influences around us. But I want us to understand, if the disciples took this view, they would have never have left Jerusalem. They would still be there. We, we would not even be here probably this morning if the disciples said, you know what, we're just going to hunker down here. We're going to wait until Jesus comes back. The Great Commission, Jesus sends them out into the world. And we see the way in which the disciples went into the Agora, right? They went into the Areopagus. They went into the secular marketplaces. So the question is, how do we hold this tension? What's a healthier way? What's a biblical way than saying full participation or full separation? Because we can either look too much like the world or we can be so separated from the world that people are like, well, those guys are weird. Now, here's the thing. Scripture says we are a peculiar people. 
And so there is something about us that is to be different. So what does that mean? Well, in his book, The Next Christians, Gabe Lyons describes it this way. He says, no one, Christians included, can avoid all contact with potentially corrupting people, systems, perspectives, and influences. For everyday followers of Jesus, this tension begs the question, how should Christians react when placed in an environment that celebrates sin, overlooks injustice, and tolerates immorality? And this is our reality. Every single day, we are going to encounter people who don't hold biblical worldviews and who don't hold biblical values. And we're going to see this continue to increase more and more. And by the way, I want to be clear, this is not just about the world that's out there. We are seeing this even inside the church where people are no longer holding to orthodox biblical values and biblical worldviews. And so how do we deal with this? Michael Metzger says this, when confronted with the corruption of the world, Christians ought to be provoked to engage, not offended and withdrawn. Uh, I think about this church that was in Pennsylvania, uh, this church plant. One of the things that they said is, as I was talking with uh, the pastor there, he says, we don't want to be of the city, and we don't want to be against the city. He said, we want to be for the city. He said, because if you're just of the city, he said, we don't look any different. We look just the same as everybody around us. But he said, we don't want to be against the city, where we're just standing and just railing against the culture that's around us. Instead, he says, we want to be for our city. We want to be for the people that are around us, but we also want to bring the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the change that comes from and through him. And so how do we deal with that? Where do these ideas come from? Well, they come from Jesus. Jesus talks about these things. Jesus engaged the world that was around him. He hung out with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. But he never blended in. Right? He didn't condone sin. But he did call people to repent and to leave their lives of sin. He, he never refused to offer grace. But he never did what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called offered cheap grace either. I think what we see is that we are not called out from. We are sent into. You know, originally this morning's message was going to be, be in the world, but not of the world. The thing is, is that as I was talking with the team earlier this week, I kind of said, well, what is it that we would really correct about that statement? Because the truth is, if Andrew were to pop up and say, actually, that phrase is actually pretty close to what we would want to say. So when we talk about, no, you know, be in the world, but not of the world, that's a pretty good way for us to think about this. But I think as we began to put this twist on it, this idea is what? That we're not of the world, but we are sent into the world. And so it's for us to understand that. 
According to Philippians 3.20, we know that our citizenship is in heaven. We know that the kingdom that Christ brings is not a kingdom that is, quote-unquote, of this world. Yet we also know that we are called to build up this kingdom. So here's the thing. We're called to separate, but we're not called to isolate. So what, what does that look like? Well, I think we see this in John chapter 17. Jesus specifically prays to the Father that we would not be taken out of the world. But he says, no, Lord, would they be sent into the world? And he says, Lord, I know that they're going to be attacked by the enemy. I I know that, that Satan is coming for them. And so he prays for us. He prays for us that we're not taken out but sent into the world. If you have your Bibles handy, I'd love to have you turn. John chapter 17, we're going to be looking together at verses 6 to 19. Notice what Jesus says. He's praying for his disciples and he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So Jesus is saying, these are people who have believed in me, they've believed in my word, but now he says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. So Jesus knows he is going to the cross. He's going to be taken from this world. But then he says, and I'm, in the, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them, kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You know, according to David Mathis, this idea of not being of the world isn't a destination. What he says is that it is a starting place. Jesus doesn't want us to be in the world and to look just like the world. We're not to be the loyalist Christians 
who don't look any different from the world around us. It's true. This world is not our final home. It is why we need to seek to live holy lives amongst the people. And it's why we need Jesus praying for us to keep us from the enemy because we know that living a holy life is hard. But notice, it's also going somewhere, right? Now that football season is in full swing, I want us to keep this in mind. That when we call a play in the huddle, you want to see what the difference that play calling makes on the field of play. Like, imagine if you and I just came together every Sunday, I called the play in the huddle, and you went home. And you came back next week, and we called the play in the huddle, and you went home. And we just do this over and over again. The point of gathering in the huddle is to advance the ball down the field. Right? When, when we talk together on a Sunday morning, when we hear God's word proclaimed, it is to change us so that when we go out into the world, when we go out into the field of play, that it makes a difference in our lives. We are to be a people who are sent. My sense is that Christians wrestle with this because we struggle with location versus formation. We're sent into the world. This location is our home for the moment. It's where we live. But where do we get our formation? Is it from the world or is it from God's word? Are we shaped by the world in which we live? Because we live here. Or are we shaped by the word of God? And this is where it gets so hard and this is why we have to be so careful. Jesus prays for us because he knows that he's sending us out into the world that we are going to experience attack. The enemy wants to attack us. The enemy wants us to be shaped by the world in which we live. The enemy wants us to look just like the world in which we live because then what happens? It actually lessens our impact. This is why, I'm going to say it this way, I think we need to curb our consumption. We have to curb our consumption. I, I'll tell you, I don't think, I'm getting older, but I don't think I'm old and crotchety. Right? I love technology. I, I can speak to most things uh, culturally. Movies, music, you know, TV, the things that are happening around us I know about what's happening. But if I'm honest, I would also be able to admit that I know that those things that I consume are not the most God-honoring. And there would be times when that consumption ends up forming the way I think, the way I speak, the way I act, the way I dress. See, when we allow our formation to be driven more by our current location than by God's word, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. So, I'm going to give you a challenge this week. For one week. 
I want you to try to curb your consumption. Think about it. Forget Facebook for a week. Turn off things like Truth Social or Twitter. Ignore Instagram. Disconnect from Discord. Tell the TV to, to take a hike. Play a game. Read a book. Read your Bible. You know that when you go on vacation and you disconnect, you're like, wow, that was great to kind of disconnect for, for a week. I, I want to encourage you, curb your consumption, disconnect from some things, and see if you feel like it's made a difference in your life, in the way in which you think, in the way in which you speak, in the way in which you act. I, just, I want to encourage you. We know that there is so much influence that comes from the world. Try, try to be influenced by God's word. Uh, I'm also going to say this. I heard somebody mention this last week, and I think it, it, it's very important today to say the same thing. Choose carefully who your rabbi is. Uh, it's very easy for us to get uh, trapped or to get drawn in by these rabbis and these people that we think sound good. Ask yourself, who are you allowing to speak into your life? Use caution with the people that you associate with. You know, John MacArthur says that we have relationships with unbelievers on a temporal level, and we can enjoy family ties. We work the same jobs. We share business relationships. We live in the same community. We experience the same hobbies and pastimes, and we can even agree on certain political and social issues. But on a spiritual level, believers and unbelievers live in two completely different worlds. Yes, we are sent into the world, but we must show caution as we seek to set an example. We have to remember that as followers of Jesus, we have been crucified to the world, but we have been raised to new life and sent back into the world. We have the light of the gospel. We have been given this light by Jesus Christ. We, who've been drawn out of darkness into the light, we're not called to hold on to this light just for ourselves. We're called to take this light back into the world. But we need to be show care. And so, in these weeks, I've tried to share with you some of the different uh, Reformed creeds or confessions. I've shared with you from the Heidelberg Catechism. I've I've shared with you from the Westminster Confession. And all of these things have just been things that have tried to drive home some of the points that people have said based on Scripture. And this morning, I want to share with you something from another Reformed body. It's the Christian Reformed Church in America. Now, this is called Our World Belongs to God. It's not a confession in the church. It, does, it sits kind of, if a confession is up here, it sits one level below that. It's a paper. That was written that everybody was like yeah this is good this is this is really good uh, but i want you to hear what it says in part 41 and then in part 43 it says this joining the mission of god the church is sent with the gospel of the kingdom to call everyone to know and follow christ and to proclaim to all the assurance that is in the name of jesus there is forgiveness of sin and new life 
for all who repent and believe. The Spirit calls all members to embrace God's mission in their neighborhoods and in the world, to feed the hungry, to bring water to the thirsty, to welcome the stranger, to clothe the naked, to care for the sick, to free the prisoner. Part 43 says this, Jesus Christ rules over all. To follow the Lord is to serve him wherever we are without fitting in. Light in the darkness, salt in a spoiling world. And beloved people, that is our call. That is our challenge. That we live in the world in such a way that we engage it. That we reach out. That we invite people over into our homes. That we share meals together. That we break bread together. I encourage you, get involved in the YMCA. Serve in different area organizations. Get involved in things like the school PTO. Encourage your children to become teachers and movie producers and politicians and presidents of universities. Tell us and our children to engage the culture in which we live, but to live as a people who have been sent. You know, we say as a church, we want to bring joy to our city. And I pray that we would not be against our city, that we would not be just of our city, but that we would be for our city, that we would go into our community and into our world bringing the hope of Jesus Christ. We know that we are not of the world, but we are sent into the world. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we come and we recognize we need your help because we cannot do this on our own. Lord, we also recognize we live within this tension. Lord, what does it mean for us to be a people who are sent, but also a people who are separate, who are different? God, forgive us when we look too much like the world around us. Forgive us for when our consumption then, Lord, conforms us to the culture in which we live instead of allowing our consumption to be that of your word, that, Lord, of your goodness and grace, and that is what shapes us and changes the way in which we live as we go out into the world. God, would you indeed protect us from the evil one who seeks, Lord, to lie to us destroy us, Lord, to, to lie and to pull us away from your desires. Instead, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may know truth from error and so that we may go out into the world not only knowing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us, but then going out into the world to proclaim that same love and that call to repentance and new life in Jesus Christ to every person that we meet. Lord, help us in that. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. 
and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us and have a blessed day.